hello. This is... We decided on Outside World Occultism? Yes. Yes, we decided yeah, on yeah. Outside World Occultism. All right. So, uh, yeah, this is Outside World Occultism, the... As far as Google has told me, number one Toho podcast in the world <laughs> that is currently posting up episodes. So, good news. C- congratulations, everyone. I'm glad we made it. We broke into the big time. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is a Toho podcast that sort of was decided to be created when we noticed there were not Toho podcasts. There is, which is weird because right? there's like, like a lot of t- to talk about, right? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of. There's deep uh, yeah. lore. <laughs> And all secret like lore. That. There's all of this like deep, deep lore that that none of us know anything about. Which is why we're the most qualified <laughs> to talk about it. Yeah, we understand the depth of our <laughs> ignorance. It's it's a Socrates thing. Yeah, it's called research. Look it up. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. So, do we want to do introductions? Yeah. Um. Does who? Does anyone want to go first? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll go first. I'll go first. Hi, I'm Katya. My favorite Toho character is Reimu. And I got into Toho when I was like 16 or 17. And a random friend in the group chat that I was in was a big Toho poster. And so they kind of got me into it. And I started with EOSD and Imperishable Night. All right. And normally I think I do sort of want to talk a bit about people's favorite characters and things. But like, we're also going to spend... The second half of this episode, like, I feel like if, if we go into too much detail on Reimu specifically, it could uh, spoil our ignorance of parts of the second ep- end of the episode, where we will, of course, be talking about which protagonists we prefer. Is anyone else, does anyone else want to go? I don't feel, I've been doing a lot of the talking, and I sort of should... I'll go. So, hi, I'm Ni, nee, and my favorite Toho character is Yukari, because she's a bastard. <laughs> I got into Toho at actually around the same time Katya did, I think, when Legacy of Lunatic Kingdom had just started bringing it back into the spotlight, and I started seeing some videos about it pop up in my recommendations. Then I played Scarlet Weather Rhapsody and immediately became enamored with how stupid Tenchi was. (laughs) Aren't we all? I got a lot of boundary team representation so far, haven't we? Yeah. Someone's gotta break the mold a bit. Team sleeping in while also maintaining the delicate balance of Gensokyo. Are you implying that Okina doesn't sleep in? Now I feel like like she's the sort of person <laughs> who wakes up and makes the very deliberate decision to spend the rest of the day watching Netflix. That's sort of the read I get from her. Yeah. Yeah. Who's next? I can go next. Okay, I'm F. My favorite Toho character is Siga because she is also a bastard. (laughs) Yep. And see, I got into the fandom about 2016 or so, so I'm probably the most newbie member of this podcast until you recruit a literal baby. Probably not. But, you know, and that's... Yeah, I had uh, friends who were into it. They got me into it. That was the beginning. Welcome to the fandom. Yeah. Thank you. It's good to be here. Welcome. Sega is... I feel like she's sort of one of those characters who I feel is really underutilized a lot. Yeah. Yeah, she usually just gets utilized for cheap gags when she really has a lot more potential than yeah, that. Yeah, and like, like yeah. I like 
whenever I see like serious stuff on like her interactions in contrast with Miko is I think really interesting. And I feel like there's cuz like like a lot of time at the time Miko is either just sort of clashing with Biakarin or being indirectly associated with a Fudo gag, right? And the funny thing is that she doesn't clash with Biakarin that much in canon. Yeah, they sort of clash in the way that, like, two academics who read different philosophers might send each other a couple of joking letters and ask about each other's work. Yeah, they probably would clash a lot more if they, you know, actually interacted in any way, but... We see Miko and Biakarin <laughs> interact pretty pretty large amounts in the fighting games and, and the symposium, so... Ah, uh, you meant Miko, I was thinking Sega for some reason. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're, oh, yes. we're like, two degrees of separation from Sega now. Uh, she also... <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, of Sega dynamics, there's also... She's put sort of as a foil to Kassen a lot. Yeah. Definitely a better foil now that Wild and Horde and Kermit is done. Mm-hmm. Now that we have a read on who Kassen actually is. Yeah, but I, I feel like a lot of the times it's just sort of gets, like, Sega nasty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Listen pretty much. Not. Whereas I think the more interesting view on them would be, like, they're both, like, capital N nasty. Yeah. Like, like Sega is the, the nasty roommate you have who has no filter and, like, steals and eats all of your food, even the stuff you lock up and hide. Whereas, like, Kasen is, like, your Midwestern aunt who's, like... <laughs> very judgy. Very, like, polite to you, but in ways that make you feel insulted. Exactly, exactly. Probably, I mean, the majority of Sega stuff still probably has to do with Yoshika for obvious reasons, and vice versa. At least I think that's the, the most common, like, standard Sega plot is just her backstory with Yoshika, but mm-hmm. people don't put, like, big twists on it, usually. There's, like, a few main categories, and obviously the details may change, but the basic structure is pretty much the same. Yeah. Yeah. Do we want to have anyone else introduce themselves? Uh, oh yeah. We never finished introductions. <laughs> yeah. 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 This is a good like bridge. This is a Sega centric podcast. Yeah. This is a good bridge for me. My name's Lev. One of my favorite characters would have to be Miko, but I'm more iconically a Moko fan. But they're both great for some of the same and some some very different reasons. What got you into Toho? Yeah, I mostly through, you know, random tidbits all through middle school and stuff, but mostly from the music in around high school, I think. And later I got into the, like, the doujin side of things, and that was really just the downhill slide from there. And you are sort of our fandom credentials person, right? Like, Yeah, I got street cred. (laughs) (laughs) Negative street cred, but... I there's mean, a point where, like, especially in these, like, like quote-unquote nerd culture circles, right, there's a point where negative street cred becomes positive, like, house cred, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I have some authentic basement cred for for shouting at people about video <laughs> encoding. Yeah, like, I probably call myself an alpha weeb, so that's something. <laughs> it kind of, kind of an oxymoron, but... And so, so when you bring up you bring up Moko, and I think the that's sort of an interesting seg after we're talking about how a lot of the times the the Sega story has been sort of done the same, right? Yeah. 
The Moco story has been done a bunch. There's like there's a bunch of similar stories, but there's also been like a bunch of different stories with her. Yeah, I think the big thing is just looking at like Moco's appearances in canon, and also definitely in fanon, but also in canon, you just she might also almost seem a bit inconsistent at times because you know sometimes she, she's like outright suicidal, and sometimes she she's just chill. And sometimes she's having fun, but I think just, just, you know, human spectrum. <laughs> she yeah, she's the, the, the uh, depression representation we've always wanted. Um, yeah, the, the consistent thing is that, you know, she's like bored with being alive. So sometimes she might be, you know, want to die. And sometimes she might be looking for things to be less bored. And I think that's like, uh, before I do my introduction, uh, I, I am a number one Moko fan as well, but I'm, I'm going to bring in different characters to not steal, steal thunder. But I think one of the things I, I like about her in recent canon so much is like every, she's been in the fighting games, which I don't think anyone saw coming. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Seemed like it would be really hard to implement her whole not dying thing. She was originally yeah. meant to be in, um, one of the other fighters, I think it might have been Scarlet. Scarlet the Rhapsody, yeah. I think. Uh, alongside Kaguya, but um, like she, they were apparently just too overpowered, so they got trapped. <laughs> but yeah. now, she, now she's yeah. in the games, but Kaguya still is not. Well, she's the one playing, still obviously. Yeah, and, but but like in the in her in her story appearances now, we see her making like it's always like Moko makes a weird friend, right? Yeah, and I love it. It's it's just it's like it's great. And I I love the characterization in the fighting game so much. I think that does a lot for characters who might not normally get it. Uh Fudo is another yeah. another great example. I love her in all of the fighting games. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, Ichirin didn't actually get any better characters. Yeah, Ichirin but... Ichirin sort of becomes the the uh Tsukomi in routines with Fudo and that's like what she got going for her um but there i do i do like the two of them like collectively like their weird sort of rivalry friendship thing it's like but, miko like, and byakaren but smaller yeah it's yeah. it's it's, it's, Mi- <laughs> it's smaller and stupider it's it's miko and byakaren like as, as two awkward kids who've watched their parents and think that's how they're supposed to act towards each other, yeah. but don't actually get the nuance to it. Yeah, they're actually both, like, a lot more fanatic than either of their, like, bosses, so they're just... And at the same time, they're 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 more fanatical, but also, like, less invested in the philosophy of it, right? Yeah. I think... <laughs> Which I is kind of hilarious. I think is a little it's bit just of a... that... They're just kind... They're kind of like a cheer squad. Yeah, I mean, both the, both the temple and the, like, mausoleum are both, like, cults of personality at this point. It's more explicit with the body, Buddhists, I think, because there's a lot of lore about how they don't actually follow all the rules and, like, have to control their urges to kill people and stuff like that. But, you know, there's the, ob- there's the occasional bit about how the, like, Miko's bunch really isn't doing any training or doing any work or trying to be proper Taoists. But why would they? They're already immortal, so... There's no reason to do that except to not get dragged away by uh, Kishin. Yeah. 
Before we're talking about... <laughs> we were introducing... We were doing introductions, yeah. So, uh, I'm uh, JT. I think I'm the elder being of the podcast, because I got into Toho in, like, 2008. My god. Yeah, I'm just sitting here like, oh, I'm Bones. Yeah, but that's, that's chill just, like, half the age of the actual series, so... <laughs> Toho is as old as my car. <laughs> yeah. Or your car is as old as Toho, because I think Toho has lasted longer than a lot of cars at this point. True. Like, how do you, uh, 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 before I go, before I digress too far, so uh, as I said, my number one is is Moko, but I have graciously allowed the thunder to be stolen on her. But my number two is uh, Yuka. Oh. oh, yeah. She's a funky little flower lady. A man of culture. I really love her pajamas in Lotus Land Story. <laughs> yeah, I love... Lotus Land story just as a game. It's so good. She's just so good in it because a pair of kids break into her house at 2am and she's just like, oh hi. <laughs> I could destroy you, but I won't. Yeah, yeah, I think just the, like the one thing is... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I kind of really like... I love Yuka. She's like in my top 5 probably, top 10 depending on how I'm feeling, but it's always felt to me like they're like, it's really surface level on my part. Like, there isn't much to, like, grab onto. And I think that might be because I never really got into PC-98. PC-98, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of, I guess the word would be notorious for my, my hot <laughs> PC-98 opinions. I've sort of, I like to kick the, to kick that hornet's nest a little bit. In that I think, uh, Lotus Land Story and Mystic Square are better games with more interesting casts than Embodiment of Scarlet Devil. Oh, 100%. 100%. Oh, yeah, definitely. Which is true and valid. Okay, yeah, so so actually this entire podcast is just going to be kicking the hornet's nest. <laughs> we're, we're here to be controversial. We control the medium. We're I picking the people to approach for this. Yeah, we don't, we don't need to address anything we don't like, so... <laughs> exactly. We can just ignore all that. In this realm, we oh, are God. We, we won't, though. <laughs> I do, and I've said this many times when people send me angry letters. I do like the embodiment of Scarlet Devil cast. I have some issues with how the fans use them, which I'm sure we'll get to when we do an EOSD episode. Oh, we oh, are 100% going to have to talk about that. Yeah, that's like a, a mini-series of yeah. opinions right there. <laughs> I do think the PC-98 games, to, to loop us back around to vaguely being done with introductions in the first 20 minutes of the podcast, <laughs> the PC-98 games, I think they do give us information about the protagonists. People always say, oh, they're so different, and I, I don't think, like, PC-98 characters are much more different than their Windows characters. They really just come off as younger and less experienced. Yeah, yeah. and literally compare, like, like Reimu in Forbidden Scrollery to Reimu in Wild and Horned Hermit, and those were two works that were running concurrently, and I think... I think we're going to hit this drum a lot, but I feel like there's a lot of people in Toho who get super... Don't realize that... Super attached. Don't realize that... Go ahead, go ahead. (laughs) Go on, go on. Oh, now now we're just being Minnesotan about it, huh? We're just waiting at the stop sign for each of us to go. This is going to happen a lot. Please finish your thought. Okay, yeah. uh, Oh, God, I've lost it. Um... Something, something oh, about character. Oh yeah, so so Wild and Horned Hermit versus Forbidden Scrollery Reimu, and it's like characters are are always going to be seen like there's not an objective perspective in Toho, and I think this is something Zun sort of realized 
around the time he was writing yeah. Perfect Memento? Yeah. I feel like it comes off much better in Cajun Lunatic Runagate, but yeah, yes. again, it comes off in Perfect Memento quite Lunatic a bit. Lunatic Runagate is definitely where I'd point to the first time he did it on purpose thematically. Yeah, I, I think the reason it flies over a lot of people's heads, and I mean, I'm including myself in this, you know, in Runagate, it's explicit, it's obvious, it's the point of that there are like separate worldviews and stuff like that. But if you just have two separate manga and neither of them really makes a point out of it, then it's easy to just think that they're being inconsistent or, you know, selectively cherry pick things out of one and forget the other. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't realize that the manga themselves have narrators. Like, people think that, for example, Forbidden Scullery mm-hmm. is from Zoon's perspective rather yeah. than Kosuzu's. Yeah, exactly. Everyone says, like, oh, like, Remu's such an idiot in Wild Lord Hermit, and then you just look at it and it's like, no, that's Kassen's story of Remu, right? Yeah. Everyone, except maybe, like, Suika, Okina, and Yukari are, like, only people in Wild and Horn Hermit who don't sort of come off as idiots most of the time. Aya sort of does. Oh, yeah, Aya, Aya sometimes. Because I guess because she's the one who corners Kassen. It's people who've clearly impressed Kassen in the past, and, like, Aya sort of shifts to when she corners her. Because that's actually that's actually good, yeah. a good support to the point that I'd forgotten about. It's Kassen just sort of assumes that everyone who isn't her is just not intelligent right they don't understand what they're doing and that's why she feels like she sort of has to shepherd everyone into doing anything and i feel like she doesn't actually learn anything from this Mm. by the end of the series she's just still in this mother hen it would be nice to see her like develop more in future stories like just sort of actually get over that part of her the six you know sort of judgmental but also needs to control everybody and have them behave the way that she thinks they ought yeah, to. Yeah, and while they're, they're... I think the Wild and Horned Hermit retrospective is probably its own episode, because I think we have a lot of yeah. a lot of nits to pick on that. Yeah. I guess we've this we've all introduced ourselves. In in keeping with sort of our, our tradition of kicking the hornet's nest. You know what? I've been talking a lot. Somebody else introduce our topic for the week, so I don't... Alright. I'm... Gonna kick this hornet's nest myself, I guess. The topic of today's episode is which protagonist of the two main Toho protagonists we prefer between Remu and Marisa. And with that introduction out of the way... I'll kick it off. Let's kick it off. Okay, so I said already that my favorite character in Toho is Remu. But my second favorite is Marisa, though I really do love them both quite a lot, for quite a lot of reasons. Um, like, if I'm just playing the games, then I will always pick Remu first uh, and try to clear the game with her. Although I do eventually, you know, make it a challenge to complete the game with every character. <laughs> I make it a challenge to complete the game at all. I am not good at total <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I play on easy mode, so... So uh. I, but I'm... Oh, it's still a challenge for me. Keep in mind, I've been in this fandom for like three times as long as as most people in this call, and I am confident that I am in the lower percentiles of the uh, the, the shmup gameplay capability. <laughs> yeah, this is this is not gonna be like a gameplay pro tips podcast. So, 
<laughs> we aren't going to be Ellen and Enning any of the games. Yeah. We're not exactly professional Toho player podcast. We care about the lore. Rim is my favorite. I really love Marisa too. I mean, I could argue for either one. And I should mention, for those of you listening in, none of us knows what... Uh, and I do, for those of you in the call, please don't change your vote if there's a majority or whatever. I think most <laughs> of us can argue. If by chance we all pick the same character... It is entirely by coincidence, and I say that because my favorite protagonist is also Reimu. She's just so good. She's yeah, the it, wonder she's the wonderful Shrine Maiden of Paradise. It's in her title. It's interesting because my opinions of them has shifted back and forth as more works have come out, and especially like having been in the fandom, you know, being, you know, bones rattling at an archaeological dig into a microphone. A lot of the perspectives on the protagonists have changed, especially in the West, where it came down to the sort of sketchy translations of the early games and a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. Early on, I, I loved Marisa, right? Because she has all this great dialogue that was sort of like ad-libbed by the, the Western translators. <laughs> Let's not talk about... <laughs> I feel like it's more Wolseyism than complete ad-lib, but... Yeah. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you could do the same thing with Raymond's dialogue, they just didn't. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, obviously. You get a little bit of, I think, bias there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I first got into the fandom, I did not super care for Raymo and Marisa. I was just not interested in them as characters. I thought they were kind of overrated. I was one of those people. I was like, they're boring, they're, they're everywhere, you see them way too much. Well, that is a valid argument. In some ways, but in others, it also isn't. Yeah. Uh, they are the main characters, so... That is true, and, you know, they are in every single game and all that. I was not very into them, and my favorite character back then was actually Cherno. <laughs> well, that kind of <laughs> destroys the they're everywhere argument. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, somehow I managed to pick a favorite character that was just, like, in, like, all of the memes at the time way more widespread than Reimo or Marisa. But the longer I've been into Toho and the more Toho I've consumed in terms of, you know, games, print works, all that, especially after getting into the print works, I think is when my opinion on Reimo really started to shift. And I started, I started to appreciate her as a character and just like her kind of, you know, struggle between... Her, her obligations and sort of her, her personal... Like, I guess, like, self-care even, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, she has this image to maintain while, you know, sort of her actual job kind of conflicts with that image in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I think, like, Forbidden Scrollery in particular, right, gives us, like, so much more. That was sort of the tipping point for me most recently into, like, being well in the Reimu camp is just how she's, she gets a lot of different perspective because we're seeing her from kosuzu's perspective sort of limitedly from her own sometimes mm -hmm. yeah a little bit from maris's i think yeah yeah and i think we see detailed perspective on her there that i think she didn't have as much of before in wild and horned hermit <laughs> and in general wild and horned hermit Raymu could have been in a gag manga and then in silent center in blue she's sort of stuck as the voice of reason the whole time, right? Yeah, she's sort of detached from all the action, I think. That is also part of Reimo's character, just uh, <laughs> being detached 
Yeah, he doesn't really do that much in the end. Yeah. Sort of floating through, <laughs> through her life. Literally. In Silent Center in Blue, it can come off as her just being flat, though. Which is why I think Forbidden Scullery was so great for letting her to shine, because it shows that that is actually an act she puts up. She does actually have a lot of investment in her current existence. She just also doesn't care a lot because she's depressed. Yeah. Okay, so we've we've had two votes so far. So before we get into arguing the case some more, where where do the rest of you stand on this ancient Toho dispute? I actually stand with Marisa. I feel like she's gotten a lot more growth, not necessarily character development, but I feel like she's grown more as a person over the course of the Toho series. We first meet her when she's probably just run away from home and she's following the coattails of the closest powerful magical entity and she doesn't really know what to do with herself. She just wants to be a powerful magician. Later, she starts getting known as a kleptomaniac in her teens because, well, she doesn't really have anybody to guide her anymore since said <laughs> powerful magical being has been vanished. Taken a bit of a leave of absence. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah she that's one way to put it. Navigating some, some speedrun tricks and sort of accidentally clipped onto the cover of one of the CDs and has been trapped there ever since. <laughs> And she read the mentor's, mentor's handbook. She, know, she knew that she had to disappear at <laughs> some point. nowadays, I think Marisa's sort of grown out of that and oh, yes, has become completely. a responsible adult, even more of a responsible adult than oh, Raymond, absolutely. since For we can sure. see her taking care of her. So I feel like it's really interesting to see somebody who was just an absolute disaster in the preteens and teen years turn into the way more responsible one of the duo when like back in the Toho five to eight era, Reimu was way, way more responsible. That's true. And I just think that Reimu is a compelling character, but she's the sort of character where it's much more about her place in the world whereas marisa's is much more i think of like how the world factors into her existence rather than how her existence factors into the world yes exactly and i think that sort of defines their sort of thematic contrast too because Remu's someone who sort of always had this this sort of fixed stringent place where she sort of has to be Thanks, Yukari. Yeah, thanks, Yukari. And and I mean, she's yeah. she's sort of like the she's like the the quote unquote the genius character, right? And whereas Marisa, by contrast, is the the like hardworking. It's sort of a classic juxtaposition. And so Remu has has natural talent, but is she has to apply it in a certain way? She's got these institutional trappings around her, whereas Marisa is someone who has chosen. To involve herself. She has limitless potential options for what she can do with what she learns, whereas Remu really doesn't have that many options for what to do with her power, which is also, I think, maybe why she might be 
so lax about training because what is she gonna do with it? Just be more of a shrine maiden? Yeah, yeah. Rainbow doesn't really have like, you know, any ambitions. She just kinda drifts. Whereas Marisa is always trying to, you know, improve, get stronger, and maybe even compete with Rainbow. I think a big part of Marisa's character is that she wants Reimu to be able to depend on her, but also that may just be me, you know, projecting, like, shipping stuff. It doesn't seem like projection to me. Does it seem like that to anybody else? I think oh, yeah, Marisa completely. definitely wants to be acknowledged, right? Yeah. She's very proud about being the number two. Like, she's much prouder about being number two than Reimu ever is about being number one. Yeah, and also Remu is such a total set, totally sad that she needs Marisa to leave, basically. So she doesn't really have a, a lot of envying to do there. That's true. I think that a big part of Marisa's character is this sort of need to have Remu depend on her, in a way. She, I feel like it's just having someone depend on her in general, because... I feel personally like she felt a lot of the time like she didn't have anyone to depend on. So now she yeah. feels like she's self-sufficient, so she wants to be able to let everybody else depend on her. That makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. And and you can sort of you can sort of back that up too if you look at her in the the Sangetsuse mangas too <laughs> with the, with the fairies. Like she's like the number one like fairy mom, quote unquote, like <laughs> Uh, they, I think she's like yeah. called their guardian at one point by like Nitori. Yeah, by Nitori. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the best parts on it. It's wonderful. And so, like, you you see her, which is another where you see the characters in a very different light, right? In a lot of perspectives, Marisa's sort of the rambunctious, brash, loose cannon. And I mean, she <laughs> is these things. You don't see mm-hmm. her, whereas she's she's much more like the cool babysitter in the three fairies manga yeah where like she absolutely yeah if i'm she won't let you play with matches but would absolutely set off fireworks on your back porch if you asked exactly yeah <laughs> if, if i may leave f with the tiebreaker i gotta say i'm more of a marisa guy too i think they're like they're roughly equal for me for the most part and i'm gonna be one of those people who say that Honestly, neither of them might be actually in my top 10, like, individually. But I really like how they, like, work as a pair of characters. And not just, like, not just, like, in a shipping yeah, sense, but, like, just... like, they would... Yeah. Go on, Katya. I think the really interesting thing about their dynamic is that, like, in the games themselves, they don't really have much of a dynamic because they're two separate routes like they're two different stories because they're the protagonists so they're never like teaming up together and you only really see them like interacting in like the fighting games the print works and the print works exactly which i think is their main source of benefit to their characters in general because i think they work a lot better as a pair than they do on their own honestly yeah Yeah. and I mean, <laughs> yeah, for sure. And and there's also they do interact in Lotus Line Story and Imperishable Night, which are some of my the, favorite games. I think, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm super super biased for them. 
it just like their soundtracks are complete slap i love the characters the the whole cast of both games and but they give us these these remu and marisa and i think the differences in those two encounters yeah the differences yeah. in how confrontational they are and I, also i like the callback to the lotus land story marisa route one in forbidden scrollery where She's just like, well, rest in peace, Reimu, after defeating her. <laughs> yeah. And they do that. They've no, done I, that a couple times, too. I think they right? only did like, it twice like with they... those two. Once with Marisa saying it to Reimu and once with Reimu saying it to Marisa. But I think they might have done it with another pair. Yes, there we go. Yeah. And, I mean, speaking of print works, obviously one of the main arguments in favor of Marisa has got to be the, the clothes the close beam. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, that, I I feel like with where Raymu and Silent Sinner in Blue is sort of stuck in the role of the the trademark Hakurai Shrine Maiden. What can, in the comedic sense, the straight man, um, <laughs> if in no other way, um, of the group, Marisa gets to be much more not like the full agent of chaos is Romelia, but yeah. Marisa gets to be the one who enables a lot of that. Yeah. And yeah, is sort of Remu has been <laughs> is the person who like is dragged by their friends to the amusement park. Maurice is the one who's like, I could go, but if I do, I'm taking you on all the worst <laughs> rides. Yeah, and I mean, speaking of silence, you know, there's also other little tidbits like the stars tasting sweet and little details like that. The close beam is mostly a joke, but it's actually, I think, it has interesting implications in terms of how. Everything else that Marisa does in terms of magic is like lasers and stars and explosions and bombs. She can do constructive things. It definitely portrays her as someone who does weird and innovative things with magic. And a lot of times people sort of hyper-focus on Lol Marisa stole Mm -hmm. and the mushrooms, as you say. She only stole two spell cards in the first place, and neither of them were actually spell cards to begin with. Yes, but people still sort of hyper-focus on it, right? People really liked to focus on the kleptomaniac aspects that we haven't seen since Ten Desires. Yeah, I think the whole stealing a spell cards thing is like an interesting concept, but obviously, I don't know if you've seen it portrayed in like a negative light or something like that. I haven't seen it in a negative. The interesting take I've seen on it is when they say that it demonstrates how clever she is, right? Because she's seeing a thing and adapting it and fitting it into her style. Master Spark is the iconic Marisa spell card. She really made it her own. And yet it was originally Yuka's. Yeah. And the non-directional laser, (laughs) her version of it versus Apache's non-spell, is much more Marisa-styled, right? It has the stars, well, the lasers are her method. There's all the different versions of Master Spark she has. Mm-hmm. Yuka only has the single spark and the dual spark, whereas Marisa just looks at all the things that she can do with a big laser and innovates on them even more. Yeah. So I don't think she's a spell card thief as much as, like, spell card open source hacker. Exactly. She mm-hmm. looks at the, like, shitty web browser of a spell card and thinks, you know, I bet I can put my twist on that. Yeah, I mean, do remember, like, Grim War, Grim War of Marisa, where she is, the whole book is just her in-character notes of other people's spell cards and how she could use them and how they work and yeah. stuff like that. 
Now she can apply the magic beyond the spell cards. It's not just like stealing, she's studying them. Yeah, and so I think she... Part of it is because, again, they are the genius and the diligent character contrast, and because of how that trope plays out, and, you know, just like general anti-intellectualism, people are usually unwilling to attribute intellect to the diligent, the hardworking character. Yeah. In whatever ways they display, because... Yeah, and the thing about the grimoire of Marisa and, you know, her building off of other people's spell cards, she is a magical researcher. Like, all of this is just her research. She's taking careful notes. She's really studying people's... She's the closest thing we have to a scientist in Gensokyo. Yeah, exactly. Besides Rikako, but she's gone. Yeah, there's a few in PC-98, but... They have all been redacted. We haven't seen applications of magic to science... Mm-hmm. as something characters do other yeah. than Marisa. Yeah, it's either science to magic or studying science magically. I do genuinely, and I think this is like almost a controversial take, so <laughs> ready your beehives, but I do think Marisa is the more <laughs> quote-unquote intelligent Definitely. of the two protagonists. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would say so, too. Yeah, in the, in the D&D intelligence that sense. And again, I, I say this a lot, it is my firm and deeply held philosophical belief that with extremely rare exception, every single human being, and in this case, yokai and associated sentience, is 90% stupid, and we select a certain few skills that we define as intelligence. But I think in those quote-unquote metric of intelligence IQ nonsense... In the ones that are generally defined as, like... The traditional societal view of intelligence. The sort of IQ test shit. I think Marisa, Marisa would, takes the lead. would do better than Remu and be confused by it. Because she's so used to... Gensokyo is in many ways focused on sort of Remu's skill set more. It, and also it doesn't make sense. It doesn't help if you're logical because it's illogical in every sense of the word. Yeah. So where is our tiebreaker gonna fall? Well... So what I find really interesting about Marisa is actually a little tidbit, I think, from... I can't remember if it's Immaterial and Missing Power dialogue or one of the really early print works, but it was Patchouli saying that she's naturally a water, like, sign, water-aligned, water-elemental. That would be Curiosities of Lotus Asia. Yeah, it's Rinosuke who talks about it. There we go. It's mentioned in Scarlet Weather Rhapsody, too. But if you look at it from the Western five-element sense, then lasers are pretty much fire and water. And then if you look at it from, like, yin and yang, lasers would be associated with heavenly and then water with earthly. So it's a really fascinating thing that her thing, her emphasis, is on doing the hardest thing possible and taking that head on. Mm -hmm. Her emphasis is rejecting what is given to her and forging her own path. Which I think is a really interesting contrast to Raymond. Right. And I think Raymu and Marisa sort of envy those aspects of each other. Oh, definitely. I definitely feel like uh, Raymu and Marisa would both be happier with each other's jobs. Not that Marisa doesn't really have a job. She just kind of does her own thing. Like, she runs a store or whatever, but... She doesn't sell anything. We've never seen a store in Gensoko (laughs) that sells stuff. Susanon. I mean... Susanon is a book rental store. The restaurants sell stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but that's fair, not that's fair. not things. That's food. Food is is inherently, you know, not. Uh, doesn't Susanan yeah. well, sell the newspapers? Stores in Gensokyo. 
This is the crux of the joke, yes. And both of them are by compulsive collectors. <laughs> yeah, this this has got to be its own episode. We can't do this. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, I think the really interesting part of the dynamic is that they would both be much happier if their roles were swapped. I think that Marisa would really take to being the Shrine Maiden. Yeah, her whole ambition is to be the best yokai exterminator, and that's what the Shrine Maiden has to do. Exactly. She would be thrilled to be the Hakure Shrine Maiden, whereas I think that Marisa's living in the woods, doing whatever she likes lifestyle, I think that's sort of like Reimu would be much, much happier doing that instead of what she's currently doing. At the same time, though, I think they both have uh, much more of an idealized version of what the other's life is like. That's true. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because if you look at, like, Okina makes Marisa a job offer in Hidden Star in Four Seasons, and Marisa's like, eh, but she does value her independence enough that even when she's offered this, you know, greater purpose, this... She's offered, essentially, the opportunity that she's always been jealous of, and she... She gets cold feet. And she doesn't want to give up that independence of hers, even in exchange for this sense of purpose that she sort of has always been looking for. We don't ever see Reimu really in a position where she can escape her obligations, but when Reimu doesn't have anything to do... She sort of shuts down. Even if she does certainly envy Marisa not having these these obligations to... Honestly, I think she would probably die the very first time she tries to eat a mushroom that she found in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what about her intuition? <laughs> if they just swap places right now, then yeah, she'd be kind of screwed. But I mean, could it be that... Remy is so seemingly useless and going to start without help, you know, because she's being always coddled and taken care of and forced into this position that doesn't change whatever she does, so... I don't think it as much of it at being she wouldn't be able to survive on her own. Because, like, if we're assuming they switch places at the beginning, right? Yeah. I don't think she's, like, inherently useless. She would have survival skills and things, but I think she'd still be listless. She still wouldn't have... She wouldn't have as much drive. I don't think having freedom would give her something to do with it. I think Raymu's the kind of person who needs structure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which, uh, even though I started off by talking about Marisa, I'm still going to vote for Raymu because I can. (laughs) And also because that kind of... (laughs) I find that fascinating that that's the kind of protagonist that Zun decided to create with Raymond. As he exposes more of her, we get to see that she's somebody who really is not even, like, refusing the call to stuff, but very... Like, she does things out of obligations and not out of enthusiasm, but without grumbling about it, you know? Yeah. And that's not something you see very commonly. Well, we see it commonly, but not as a protagonist focus. She'll grumble about it, but sort of in the mystery science theater way, where sort of having fun, grumbling is part of the the experience for her. Yeah, it is very fun to complain about your lot in life. Yeah. 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 I think it's really relatable, to be honest. You grumble about it, and it kind of sucks, but... And, like, what else are you going to do? Not only do you have to do it, you think it's important to 
If you don't have anything to do, can you really say that you're living? What are you going to do if you, you have nothing? Your basic needs are covered and you're... I mean, I started a podcast, so I'm one to talk, but... <laughs> There's certainly in life position very, very relatable of notion of what's the difference between living and surviving. And I think Marisa and Remu are both examinations of that question. Oh my god, yes. And I don't know if you can even say that both of them are really living, even though Marisa seems like she's doing more of that. Yeah, like Marisa, Marisa, I think, is the refusal of the classical answer to that question the whole move to mm -hmm. philly start a salsa company sort of spiel marisa <laughs> marisa's done that like she ran off into the woods has eaten every kind of mushroom known to man probably a fair few that aren't poisonous or not she's got a legendary japanese sword that she sort of trades for spare parts she has the tsuchinoko in her basement somewhere and several cats and a bunch of cats and she's learned how to fire a beam out of her hand that gives someone a deer stalker and a scarf god that's the dream she's still <laughs> this person who's for all that she's living she, she has no purpose is still constantly looking for something Whereas the, I think Remu is sort of the response to the idea of living is when you find a purpose, but that's clearly not it either because her purpose is sort of consumed. Yeah, I think both Remu and Marisa are incredibly relatable to, well, most people probably, but I think specifically just our generation in general. Yeah, because we have to do a lot of that living versus surviving juggling. Yeah, exactly. They're part of this massive interconnected system that they can't control they can't control it and it doesn't completely control them but it does enough to change their lives yeah their world is defined by it and they don't see all the pieces either even if it doesn't like control them they can't really change it and they know that if they stopped moving along with it then it would only get worse yeah if Remu decided she didn't want to do her job, something would probably happen to cause her to do her job again. And by something, you mean Yukari. <laughs> uh, yes, she's something. Basically. I think maybe, like, even it would be Marisa showing well, up to yeah, just, like, yell too, at her. But... And... Well, that, didn't that, like, actually happen in... Yeah, it did. For the Four Seasons incident, right? The Raiju episode? Yeah. In, like, Wild and Horned Hermit? Well, yeah. It was like a really serious scene with serious lighting and <laughs> serious angles. Yeah, it was literally Marisa doing like a whole wake-up call for Remo. But that was more her just ignoring the incident rather than specifically not doing her job, rejecting her identity yeah. as a shrine maiden. I think it's sort of indicative of what would happen if uh, in this situation. Well, yeah, it's kind of part of it. Yeah, I think it's definitely the most we've seen. And again, I think it comes back to Marisa being jealous of that mm -hmm. purpose. Because here's this big incident going on, and Remu's not doing anything about it. And I think Marisa's saying, you know, if if I were in your position... I would do X, Y, Z. And I don't think necessarily that she would. But I think that's how she sees herself in her idealized view of what Remu's job is. Yeah, they both are pretty short-sighted about each other's lives. Yeah. That's true. Which makes them such a great couple. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start talking about shipping now. 
Good. It only took us, with my brief digression about microphone noise, 58 minutes and currently 20 seconds. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think we can avoid it forever. <laughs> it's gonna come up. You can't talk about Reimu and Marisa without talking about Reimari yeah, in some capacity. Exactly. And as the number one Reimari fan in the world, I'm, although I'm, I'm sure some people we know might also claim that title. But can they dispute being the number one Reimari podcaster in the world? Absolutely not. So I think I'm clearly the winner here. Um, exactly. All of the stuff that we've been talking about, like differences between them and just sort of the way they view each other and all, all of this comes together to make for a really interesting relationship where it's, it's possible to explore all of this in a way that's like them sort of getting to know each other and learning more about each other and just starting to understand that maybe... Grass isn't greener on the other side. Yeah, exactly. It's like well, all the differences between them don't like mean that they wouldn't go together well. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like they're just misunderstanding each other and wouldn't actually go together well. They're like salt and pepper. Marisa isn't thinking that she would do Reimu's job better than Reimu, and I think that's especially notable in Wild and Horned Hermit, where you see from Kassin's perspective where it's... That's like the biggest Reimu the idiot sort of story. And Marisa has portrayed equally unflatteringly, but we don't see her in ever being like... Other than that one really dramatic scene before the Hidden Star and Four Seasons crossover, which is like a big moment, we don't see Marisa as someone who could be better than Reimu, which I think is important because we never... She certainly envies Reimu, but I don't think she thinks... And I think a lot of the envy comes out of the fact that she knows she wouldn't yeah. necessarily do any better. Even though she wants that position, she yeah. wants that. It's not because she's saying, Reimu is bad and I would be better. She just wants the chance, I think. Yeah, she desperately wants to prove herself. Reimu's position is sort of the height a human with that sort of interest can aspire to while retaining their humanity. Yeah, and we've seen in more recent works that other people are getting more curious about, well, Marisa, are you going to shed your humanity? I'll let you know soon? later. Yeah, and it's 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 definitely not just a canon <laughs> thing either, because like Zun definitely knew what he was doing with the um the fortune tellers, the infamous fortune teller uh We gotta have to talk rate. about um, <laughs> We're gonna have to God, I don't wanna talk about the fortune teller. <laughs> We're going to have to do that at some point, but it is uh, not going to be today. It is such an important moment, though, in the Reimu and Marisa context. And also, to bring it around to another dynamic, like in, in the Akyu and Kosuzu context, it asserts the boundary of humanity and inhumanity in a way that it's always been loose in Toho before this point, right? It's always been vague as to what is allowed and what is not allowed until that moment. And there's always been people who go between them, like Marisa herself, Reimu herself. And Byakuren, sort of. Byakuren, I think, is very strongly on the yokai side. She's just sort of, quote-unquote, human passing. She's a very human-like yeah. yokai, and sort of that ties into 
Even though she calls herself a human. Biakarin probably has her whole own episode, at least one, in her just unpicking her philosophy. We see it with, with characters like Alice, who still acts like a human, despite having been a magician since childhood. With Sakuya, who retains her humanity in spite of being probably the most yokai-like in a conventional sense of the protagonists and secondary protagonists. Yeah, she acts as far as from human as you can get while staying a human, I think. And that's then you, you can... She represents that boundary. You can juxtapose exactly. her against Mei Ling, who's an extremely human-like yokai. <laughs> yeah, which is why um, they go so well together. Yeah. <laughs> that, but that boundary has always been fluid, and then Forbidden Scrollery has... Not only does it assert that boundary, but it has it places Reimu as the enforcer of that boundary. The unwilling enforcer of that boundary. That is, that is crucial. And it's in the most like dramatic possible way. With, like, the first, like, on-screen <laughs> head bifurcation of a, of a character. Like, well, that's oddly specific. Because it's, yeah. it's not technically a decomposition, right? Because his, his, like, spectral no, it... head stayed attacked. Yeah, no. <laughs> I thought you were looking for the word killing, but... <laughs> Okay, okay, I'm going to stand very <laughs> firmly on this. He was already dead. It doesn't count. Yes, yes. Omae wa mo shindeiru! But that, that's also a different question in Toho, to be honest. You can't go around murdering ghosts. That's rude. <laughs> I mean, you can. Tenshi does it in Scarlet Wonder Rhapsody. <laughs> and and Kazen yeah, does it rude, in Wild and yeah. Hermit. Anyway. <laughs> Marisa kills a yokai in... And it's rude. Forbidden scholarly. I stand by my point. <laughs> but, but yeah. I, yeah. He definitely deserved it. I think the one big thing that, especially especially in the West, that makes the whole fortune teller thing even more confusing is that people, and I can't really blame them, haven't really gotten a point of, like, where does the line That's go? That's what we mean, right? Where... If the line hadn't been an important thing, and now the act of crossing it is this massive transgression, but we still... Aren't entirely sure where the line is. <laughs> because... It's like if you see a sign that's just speed limit enforced by aircraft. <laughs> exactly. There's no speed limit posted anywhere on yeah. the road, but there's just a little picture of a drone with a missile on the bottom of that sign. And the drone has a little bow. <laughs> yeah. The drone has a bow and and like some uh what are those like four locks? Yeah. Yeah, and also probably some ruffles. The big thing is that people got really stuck on the humans can't become yokai thing and immediately went, then why doesn't she murder Alice and stuff like that? Because she is, is not a villager in the first place. That's but... that's one position yeah, that, that yeah, people have taken on where the line the is drawn. But we don't know. I think it's, would you make yokai less intimidating to humanity? If you cross that yeah, line, then really... you can't be a I yokai. Really... <laughs> that's too bad for... Yeah, that's, that's the thing. It's, it's, yeah. it's kind of... Oh, I yeah. think this is its own episode. Like, True. Uh, maybe maybe yeah. next week... Although we should probably well. be wrap right. wrapping this one up in the first place. Since this uh, yeah, is a well, lot we, of audio We still have a... Yeah, we're at about a minute or an hour. Uh, it's all taking one minute, guys. Thanks, uh, Kuya. We're at about 
about an hour ten. Well, th- wouldn't it be be more of a sort of like a Diablo situation? Uh, <laughs> Kaguya. We just get right to the end of the podcast. So, I think. Oh, uh, I mean, I guess we'll we'll figure out uh, what to do next week. But I think the the human yokai line is sort of like. That's where we ended up. I mean, do we have any reason not to go there? No, I would love. I would love to keep talking about that. I don't see why not. Yeah, yeah. That's like my personal favorite topic yeah, in the entirety of Toho lore, so I have no objections. <laughs> so okay, next time yeah. on Outside World Occultism, we will be talking about the human yokai line and all the weird stuff that that involves, but. There's a couple other segments we want to talk about before we go. Yeah. So, first of all, I'm glad that we scientifically determined that Reimu is the best protagonist by a margin of one vote. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think... Hey, it's a 60% chance! One vote of the premier Toho podcasters in the world. Exactly. Um, I think we can all agree that we love Marisa just as much as Remo, honestly, in most cases. And yep. so do, well, I'm sure Lev and I yeah. love Remo just as much as Marisa. Um, so I- I'm glad that we, you know, settled that once and for all, forever, completely unassailable. Um. <laughs> exactly. Except totally not, but. We can do this episode again next year and then see if it's changed. That's an, that's a good idea. We'll at least have more callbacks that we can make. Yeah. If I know anything about podcasts, we're going to be so much rude to each other for success. That's very true. Before we go, we're setting up a Tumblr for the podcast and all that. And so we're going to be doing mailbag questions for anyone who is interested in sending us questions either about, you know, the topic or the stuff we talked about, or the stuff we said we're going to talk about next time. Or even the stuff that you want us to talk about, we can do like a little, like, 15-minute segment. Yeah, absolutely. A listener question segment or something, right? Or even if you just want to ask about just, like, something completely random, totally fine. I'm pretty sure that if you send in, like, any sort of vaguely related topic, like, feel free to ask me about graduate-level mathematics. You're free to ask me about nuclear physics. <laughs> I'm sure you can get us talking about pretty much anything, and there is a way to tie it to Toho one way or another. Oh, yes, absolutely. We will find that way. I'm almost wondering if I, if I want any kind of chance to like flex my own fandom muscles, if you can call them that. Honestly, it's probably <laughs> going to be better if you don't give me the power. <laughs> you know, as this conversation shows, it's not like I have any actual muscle over anyone else. I guess I will repeat that point that I'm, I wouldn't call myself an expert on Dojins. I'm kind of the, uh, they're my expertise, if I can say it that way around. You've translated literally a million Dojins. Uh, more like literally a 500. Literally, one million. <laughs> yeah, I just counted. It's actually exactly one hand. million as of the time of this recording. Oh, it's yeah. It's pretty amazing. I actually, I lost count. I lost count. <laughs> That was so fast. Yes, we have we have actually all of the dojins you've ever translated piled up in our imaginary recording studio. It's uh... <laughs> we are recording from the satellite Torifune. Oh please. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I was yeah, going well, anywhere with well, this. We... If you have dojin questions, 
we are very happy to answer them. You can also ask those. That's Dojin in the sense of independently published fan comics, right? Because I know a lot of Western weeaboos and sorts. You think that Dojin means... This is a work-safe podcast. Except for all the times I say the word... Yeah, let's make that clear. Which I think that might have been the only time this episode... Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's fine. Yeah, that was the first time. Congratulations on making this the first not-work-safe episode of the premiere Toho podcast. Congratulations on breaking the barrier. (laughs) (laughs) You need to answer that. I can't believe it took me that long. God. Yeah, I think you need to censor it. Uh, yeah, I, I have to put in a, a, a silly bird bleep or something in there um, now. We... And you need to use the death sound effect, obviously. <laughs> yeah, the tone. But, um, just, just because you said that, I'm going to do that now. And... Excellent. <laughs> yeah, Perfect. Thanks. So, if you have any questions about literally anything related to Toho, or even not, just send them to the ask box at outsideworldoccultism.tumblr.com. I think maybe I'm going to set up a curious cat as well. I don't know how that works. I'll figure it out. You link it to a Twitter account. I know literally nothing about how anything works, so I think we'll be fine. Yeah. Hopefully. We'll figure it out. There's five yeah, of we'll us. That's close to sufficiently many monkeys on typewriters to produce the works of Shakespeare. <laughs> if not the works of Shakespeare, at least the works of some. I'm actually not sure which would be harder to reproduce on a typewriter. I would definitely say Zoom because you would also have to choose the correct word from the hiragana you type in. Oh, yeah, yeah, true, true. Because if you're using some kind of Japanese typewriter machine... They on- they usually only type in hiragana, yeah. And so just- this is what this has come to. An infinite number of monkeys <laughs> and an infinite number of brushes, but sadly a finite amount of ink. That's just an Okami speedrun. Uh, isn't this one of those math, math questions? <laughs> Technically. Uh, so, so... I guess we never, did we, we never really decided how we're going to end the podcast. Yeah. Are we just trapped here now? Yes, this is purgatory. I assume this part is going to be edited out, unless we never make it out. (laughs) I think we're just stuck here forever. Instead of hosting a (laughs) podcast, we're just, we're going to have to get into streaming and just stream this eternal conversation. Actually, though... We can just dump ourselves out of the satellite that we're recording this in and end up in Gensokyo. Yeah. So <laughs> that was the plan all along. And we just we welcome just to Gensokyo, everyone. We'll see you all next week. Assuming none of us wake up with any strange diseases and get sent to sanitariums. Yeah, speaking of which, we gotta decide. <laughs> we gotta agree ahead of time that if anyone ever disconnects during the podcast, it's because they woke up. That's our co- exactly. that's our cover story. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I can yes. I can edit in the the Toho death sound when someone's Discord. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna get a lot of mileage out of that sound effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I guess uh, I think we've ended the podcast like three times. Uh, yeah, we're just gonna do something yeah. presentable. Yeah. Presentable yeah. last line. I have just one. I have just one final thought. If 
Disconnecting means one of us woke up. Does that mean we're all Doremi? I don't think there's a conclusive way to prove whether or not someone is Doremi sweet. <laughs> okay. I think we we need a section for like stupid science questions. This is one of them. <laughs> for next week's mailbag segment send us your questions as well as your empirical methods to check whether or not someone is a baku <laughs> uh, so I guess let's, See you let's, next just, week, let's just do like a sign off uh, yeah um, I don't know how to do a sign off uh, you're the host. You're the host. It's your job. You're the host. Do the sign off. Should we go through names uh, one last time? I guess, yeah, this uh, this has been Outside World Occultism. Uh, sorry for taking 15 minutes to end the podcast. Uh, see you all next week, and... Goodbye. 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 Yeah. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye.